Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. My guest today is Oscar McMahon. He's one of the co-founders of a Sydney brewery called Young Henry's, whose mission has always been fairly simple. That is to create a beer company that's in touch with the people drinking the beer, showcasing Australian hops and malts without all the bells and whistles. The business was started by three founders in 2012 who had a love of beer and music and shared the view that Australian beer scene felt stagnant and should be more innovative and a lot more adventurous. With their combined experience in brewing and hospitality know-how, they started Young Henry's in a modest warehouse in Sydney's Newtown with a few mates, a small brew kit, and the philosophy to serve the people. When they started, they had eight customers and eight employees and were producing a few dozen kegs each week. They now have more than 60 staff ensuring the distribution of 1,500 kegs of beer a week to over 2,000 bars, pubs, and bottle shops all around Australia, and they're on track to sell 9 million litres of beer this financial year. I'm going to ask Oscar how the hell he would come up with this idea to set up a brewery in the first place. How important is timing relative to the whole craft beer movement? How did he get enough funding to fund the cash flow of these businesses? Because the more successful you are with your marketing, the more beer you sell, yes, but the longer you wait to get paid, particularly when you're getting paid by the big organisations who are selling you beer. And on top of all this, what's really important to me, it's about the culture that young Henry stand for and how important is the support of the live music industry? How do they tap into that in terms of supporting an industry, but also getting that industry to support them? So let's get into it. Oscar McMahon, welcome to The Mentor. Thank you very much, Mark. Of course, Young Henry's is a pretty well-known um, independent beer brewer in this country. Still independent too after nine years. A lot of the independents sort of like uh, have sold out. Um, hmm. I don't want to say sold, that sounds bad. Um, but have sort of taken the cash. You know, I saw, uh, what's the one up there in Queensland that um, uh, Mick Fanning and those guys owned? Uh, yeah, Bolter. Bolter, yeah. Um, hmm. They did a deal with Asahi or someone like that. Yeah. I think about this time last year, actually. Think, February last year. I think that's about right. Look, I think with with any business, you it's always a balance of, looking after your internal people, looking after your shareholders and funding the future. You know, um, some people raise money, venture capital or private equity. They get friends and family to invest. You know, 
there's a whole bunch of different models, you know. You've got um, Stone and Wood talking about making their way to a big IPO soon. Yeah, that's Tommy Mooney up there in Byron. That's uh, right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess, so. Tom, but Tom's, like, pretty rich guy. Like, I know him quite well. And uh, he's got a lot of pubs and, you know, he's got a lot of real estate. And he's an older dude. Like, he's around my age. He's not your age. So uh, he's probably got most shit, most of the shit he wants. He's got big houses, investments, property portfolios, because most of the pubs he, not all, but a lot of pubs he actually owns in real estate too. And I know that like blokes like Hemi's, Justin's been walking around and offering him like ridiculous amounts of money for the Bangalore Hotel and the mm. Northern, the Great Northern and Byron. And um, so, I mean, I, I guess they don't need to sell, so to speak, to get the cash. But what are blokes like you, you're a young guy, young Henry's, you'd be getting tapped on the shoulder all the time. Look, not, not necessarily. These conversations like that, I would assume, don't really just come out of anywhere. If you think about it in Australia, there aren't that many buyers in the market. Is that right? Yeah. Except the big guys. Except for, for the, the big guys and really... Um, Do you reckon they're done or they just want to buy up everything that could compete? I mean, Asahi just bought CUB. Yep. So they're going to, you know, in that portfolio now, you've got everyone. Yeah, yeah. And so then the other one is really, you know, you've got Lion, Heineken or Coke. And so, you know, like really in this marketplace, that's sort they're of... Your buyers. They're, they're, they're your, your buyers and depending on what they're doing, what their strategies are at any one time, you know, they're either on or they're off. Um, whereas there's 750 whatever craft brewers in the country. Is that right, 750? So, something like that. Because I want to ask you about that because like... Well, let, like, let, before I... Because I'm actually intrigued. Let's talk about that in the second half. Let, mm. I just want to go back to the... In the first half, I just want to talk about... Who you and your co-founders are. So who are the, the other two co-founders? You got three of you? Is yeah. Right. right. Who, who, who are they? Well, in the in the early stages, there was uh, me and a guy called Richard Adamson. We also met a guy called Ian Atkins and a guy called Daryl. So we sort of, we were the first four to put money on the table and that was the, the original nucleus. Right. So this, can, can, and can, for our listeners, I mean, everybody wants to sort of do this sort of thing. I mean, everyone wants to have the same success as, as, your, as you've had in different sort of environments. Can you go back to the day, was it nine years ago, eight, nine years ago? Yeah, well, we, we, we literally opened our doors nine years ago. So going back to when we sort of yeah. came up with the idea, that's, the idea, that's like 11 years ago. Do you remember it? Um, yeah, I do. Yeah, what, yeah. What, what, can you, like, how did, how did you start? Like, I mean, did you say... Should let's have our own beer brand? Like, what did you do? Like, Yeah, look, it wasn't too dissimilar to that. Um, there was beer involved as well. Uh, you look, were drinking beers? Yeah. yeah. So me and Rich, I was working in a pub and Rich was had been a brewer for a company called Barron's. And, um, I remember Barron's, yeah. Yeah, you remember them? They had a pretty great rise and then sort of something something went on behind the scenes and yeah, they sort I, of dropped out of the market I remember a bit. them well. You know why I remember them well? Why? Because I was an investor in it. There you go. And we had um, a whole lot of weird beers. Um, we had some brewed in China. Yep. And, uh, yeah, I was involved in that business. Well, there you go. And, you probably uh, know more about the... I, I, I just remember, or I pulled out because we were an independent and uh, we couldn't get shelf space in in, in any liquor stores um, and we couldn't price our beer at the price after all the excise and all that shit that we needed to price that to beat everyone else on price. We couldn't get position in the, in the liquor stores. Yeah. We couldn't get into the pubs. And, uh, and I just thought, this is all too fucking hard, I'm out. And then something happened between the original partners. So he was a brewer, Barons was. He right, yeah. okay, that's a small world, eh? okay, cool. So he came up with he came up with those original, like the Waddle Seed Ale. Yeah, and yeah, the... yeah, yeah. We had the, 
Oh, we had another one too. Um, the lemon myrtle whip Lemon myrtle, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, I still got a couple of bottles of that at home. There I just you kept go. it for, for yeah. yeah. Yeah, There you go. So he was your brewer. Go on, t- take me back. So Rich was, Rich was the brewer um, for Barron's originally, but as you know, they didn't actually have a brewery. No, correct. Yeah. So whatever was going on in there, he wasn't completely happy with it and was looking to sort of leave Barron's at that time. Like I said, I was working in a pub around the corner from his house, pulling beers. Yep. And so he came in and he'd sit at the bar and, you know, have a couple of beers. And we originally started talking about music. I was playing in a band. He used to play in a band. We, you know, that was sort of our connection conversation. And then um, obviously him being a brewer, me being in hospitality and really starting to get into craft beer with amongst my mates, me and Rich started talking about different beers and we decided to start a beer appreciation club. Ah. In the back back of the pub. So we'd meet once a month, bring in a bunch of beers, and people would literally just come in, sit around, drink them, taste them, talk about them, you know. Was it more for a social thing or you actually wanted to no, it build was, a club? It was actually more about um, investigating craft beer because, as you'd know, 11 years ago, you couldn't walk into a normal pub and find an independent <laughs> craft beer tap. You couldn't walk into your local bottle shop and necessarily find, and you know, like... An independent craft. You might better be down the back somewhere. Totally. And and, and it was expensive. Exactly. Was 50, we used to sell a carton of beer 45 bucks and a carton or something and everything else was like 28, 29, 30. Totally. And we just couldn't compete. Yeah, exactly. We got so, drowned. So around this time, this beer club, all of these people started getting really into it. Um, and How it's, many people in the club? Um, by the end of it, there was 120 members. Yeah, no Facebook. No Facebook, no yeah. Instagram, nothing. Yeah, yeah. Just word of mouth. And what's really funny is looking back on that, that I, I think we did the numbers, around 15 people that were original members of Beer Club are now in the beer industry in different companies. So that, so that they did funny. the research. Yeah, look, it was, just, it was just this time where people were looking to find out more about craft beer. And one night after Beer Club... Can we, I just stop you there for a second? I, was going to, I want to tell our listeners, this is really important. The formation of a club like that um, is a great research position because everyone is like-minded. Everybody's going to feed each other. It's like, but that is Facebook, but in real life, <laughs> it's a real, a real thing. There's Facebook, which is a club, but this is a real club. We actually physically met, and uh, you're all doing your work. You're all working out what you're doing, you don't like, and you're all sharing ideas, which is what Facebook sort of was about originally. So I, I just want to interrupt there because there is relevance to doing research. Research is really important. Absolutely, and it's not only sharing ideas, but I think the thing that was important for us was sharing excitement. Yeah, yeah. You know, like we could see people getting excited. Like, wow, that's good. To, well, that was that's great. I've never had a beer like How that before. How cool is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never, I've never had a beer from the, you know, the Flemish region of Belgium before. Or you know, yeah. people just like learning hunger for, for more and interesting. And it wasn't necessarily do you like it, do you not. It wasn't binary like that. It was more conversational around. Oh, I really like this because of this. Or oh, that was interesting. It wasn't but, my favorite. But you know, like, yeah, like yeah. it was all sort of this this positive. You know, whereas you've got so many beer rating apps these days where people just sort of go on to either trash something, it's either no stars or five stars. It's yeah. sort of, it's... it's There's no quality in it. Exactly. It's sort of, it's a little bit... Um, it's sort of binary, you think. It's binary. It's a yeah. little bit toxic as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like everyone gets to be a critic. Um, so at the end of one of these nights, me and Rich were sitting, I was cleaning up the bar, Rich up was sitting, this. absolutely, yeah. and Rich said something like, how cool to be to create a beer brand that was in touch with the people drinking it like beer club is or, you know, they had a vibe like beer club. 
And it was just one of those, oh, yeah, we should do that. We should do that. And then the next day we actually had a phone call. It's like, you know what we were talking about last night? Do you reckon, do you reckon we could do that? And we both said, yes. Yeah, I reckon we could do that, even though there's nothing really in my CV that made me think I could do it um, or that I'd be a valuable shareholder or anything like that. Didn't even know where I was going to get the money from or where to start, anything. But we just said, yeah, we're going to do this. And that started us off catching up in pubs and cafes working on a bit of a business plan. And I'm sure, as you've probably spoken with many people who have written an original business plan, the business ends up looking absolutely nothing no, like no, the business totally. plan. But, However, gotta, but you do have to write the it's original an in, It's an important process. Yeah, yeah. It really is because you, you, it allows yourself to define what you want to be and what you're not going to be. Mm. And that's a really important starting point for, especially if you're looking for finance, which we needed to. Um, and we started circulating this business plan and it was at a time where you know, you, you couldn't you couldn't access craft beer easily, like I yeah. said. But craft wasn't really were, kicking off, though, was it? Like, not, like, not like it became. Not like it became. Because it would have been hard to get investors, I would have thought. It, initially, it was tricky. It, it really was tricky. So you and Rich, business plan, just an idea. Bear yep. in mind you got a brewer. Yeah. Someone who can actually make a beer. Yeah. Did you decide what your flavour, like what, what, what you were going for? Did you have the young Henry's... Um, Recipe in your mind at the time? No, not 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 at that stage. No, at, at that stage we hadn't even named it yet. Right. Okay. No name either. And then we were sitting in a cafe one time, and Rich at this stage had exited Barons and was a stay-at-home dad, and he brought his one-year-old Henry to the ah. meeting, and I said something along the lines of, "We should call Young Henry's because he'll be the th- third shareholder." I was like, "Oh, Young Henry's. Yeah, that's all right. Working title, and just never changed it." Just, That's cool. It was just one of those things. It wasn't part of a focus group. It wasn't overly thought out. It was just this thing. It just came out. It was there. It was kind of, I don't know, it just felt nice. Never you ran was, with it. Yeah, we ran with it. Because the product spoke for itself at the end of the day. And now the reputation of product precedes the name and, and it gives the name gravitas. So, like, it, it works. But, so, so you and Rich, sitting there, young Henry's came up with the idea. You started, you worked out a business plan. Where the hell did you get your money? How'd you kick it off? So we... I don't, you don't strike me as two rich boys. No. No. <laughs> yeah, you didn't have a whole shitload of money to throw around. No, we didn't. So we we ended up getting this business plan out to a few people. and Mates. Yeah, mates. And they a couple of people tapped other people on the shoulder saying, hey, there are these guys doing this. You know, know that you're into your beer. You, you should come and have a chat. And um, that led us to two guys... Um, Daryl and Ian, who had come out of um, different IT companies. And then it also, once we kicked off Young Henry's, it introduced us to Dan Hampton, who's one of the other uh, owners and directors of the business and a huge driving force in the business. He was doing sales for Little Creatures around the time of the Little Creatures buyout and chose to take a redundancy and actually at the 11th hour pulled money out of that redundancy and put it into Young Henry's and came on board as cool. head of sales. It's West Australian, was it West Australian? Look yeah, that was WA. Yeah, yeah, WA yep. guys, yeah. So you got these, these so, dudes with some dough. Yeah, well, look, they, you know what, they they had a little bit of... How much money are we talking about to put in to kick it off? We needed 800. So someone sat down and said, you you and Richard sort of sat down and said, 
well, we need to buy this, 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 and this. We need eight hundred grand. Is that what happened? Like or Basic, brewing, basically brewing kits or whatever, whatever you know, like big brewing kits. Yeah, is that what you did? Yeah, mostly capital items. Yeah, yeah, and, and some inventory. And yeah, you know, and like, a few what, wages. What, no wages didn't even make it into no the, the original yeah. plan, unfortunately. Um, yeah, it was things like you know how much is going to cost to set up the bar, how much is going to cost to set up a restaurant attached to the, oh, so to had, the brewery. Oh, like, this about the distribution, so, or this about selling. So you you had the brewery, but you also had a bar to sell it. Well, that was the plan because you're not going to get in a pub. No, well that that was that was the plan, and uh, so two two family homes also had to be mortgaged so that we could borrow the rest of the cash to to get there. Right, which is an important thing to like say. Parents? No, no, no. Uh, Richard, guys, Richard, and Ian. Yeah. Right. They, they had a house. Yeah. Yeah. So they, you know, which is... It's a big deal. It's a pretty big deal. Like literally, when we started Young Henry's, everyone, everyone was in it deeper than they could really afford to be. Yeah. So it you've was, got to make it work. We had to make it work. The, the fucking it up wasn't yeah. an option. No, otherwise it'd fuck you up. <laughs> exactly. And that's, and look, that's why in the early days, wages weren't even a consideration. All of us that you know, started the business. We worked for the business for the first six months for free. Did you have other other gigs, other jobs? Yeah, I worked in a bar at night. Yeah, so you're doing, you see, so you kept your sort of night work instead yeah. of day work, but you kept your night job, yeah. which is your, your normal job. So, yeah. you know, my marriage managed to survive that somehow, which was, because it was crazy. You know, the early days of any yeah. business, you just, you're basically making mistakes all over the place and, you know, tidying it up, fix it up, yeah. learn from yeah. it. Backfill. Start again, you know. Yeah, dig, dig a hole, run ahead of it, and you know, make sure no one behind you falls in. So you got to keep backfilling the fucking hole. Exactly. But what was cool was that we got to make all of our mistakes in a market that was getting to know what craft beer was, and it was also a time where publicans were like small bars had just really erupted in Sydney, and so publicans were going out on the weekends, going, "Where am I? All my." We're all my customers, you know, going checking out these small bars and like, oh shit, hang on a second. These small bars are offering local beer, local wine, different. Oh, okay. Can you explain why that was? Is that because they couldn't get deals, the small bars for beer, just when it comes to beer, for example, couldn't get deals done with, I don't know, CUB or big organizations because uh, they were too small? I think so. Yeah. I think also. Or is it just a, a, an image, not an image thing, but like a... Camaraderie. They want to stand for something different. Yeah, I, I think I think it was definitely, it was two parts. It was one that these small bars probably weren't on the radar of the CB and Lion reps because they were typically smaller volume. But also in the same way that craft beer is sort of a movement against sort of like, you know, international beer, the small bars were sort of a movement against the big old beer barn style pubs. Yeah, yeah. So that created this perfect storm of us getting some really great ranging in these small bars, but also publicans going, well, hang on a second, I need to modernise. And what was something that they saw in a few of the different small bars was Young Henry's. They ended up, a lot of publicans actually in the first year to two years would actually just, like our phone would ring and we'd be like, yep, hello, yep. Okay, you, yo, you got a tap for us. Oh, that's great. Cool. Yeah, okay. Well, we'll sell you some beer. No worries. Okay. Yeah, we'll, we'll drop it off on Friday. Like, that was our sales system. That It doesn't happen like that anymore, you know? No, these days? No, nah, not at all. Like, no, because you're much bigger, that's why. Well, it's because we're much bigger, but also 
there was like what 150 brewers in the in the country when we started something like that you know there's now 600 more whoa you know so all of our mistakes and all of our learnings were happening at a time where competition was different the market was you know like all those beer rating apps weren't getting about you know and there was just this amazing excitement like you could do you could throw an event for a beer matching dinner and you'd sell all the tickets in a couple of days Whereas beer, beer, what dinner? beer matching dinner, which you know? is where well, basically you know you get six courses and there are six beers that go with each course. You know? you, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Something yeah. that well, not like they would do with wine, exactly. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. And, but and that was that was something that was actually it's funny. Like we would we don't really do things like that very much anymore because all consumers are now so knowledgeable in the space that that was more an educational piece. Yeah, you yeah. know. Um, well, anyone is doing a startup. In a new environment, like into like what you like into, let's say in your case, craft beer, which didn't exist so much relative to today, you have to go on those education programs because mm. otherwise, no one's going to buy your shit, and you got to tell them about craft beer. I mean, like I remember prior to me being involved in Barons, I didn't really know about craft beer. I saw a few odd things around, but I go to the pub as you say, go to the pub, just take whatever's on tap. I'd have my pub that I go to. Like I used to love Resh's. Yeah. Not that I don't even know where Resh's pubs are these days. I don't even know if they exist. But um, I'd only go to the pubs that had Resh's beer. Yeah. Yeah, like, but I still buy uh, uh, Resh's Pilsner. Yeah, Kraken beer. Yeah, totally, Silver bullets. Totally. It's the best. Yeah. I don't even know I'm nostalgic about it because my dad used to drink it. Um, but so, like, th- th- that sort of makes a lot of sense because you needed to make you guys, your craft industry, needed to make me aware of what the fuck's going on. And, yeah. You know, unless I'm always out of those little – little joints as well as independent bars, um, which I wasn't, um, and that's bulk of people aren't, um, I'm never going to know about your beer. Mm. So you're going to tell me about it. It's Exactly. Not only – so think about this, right? If you own a pub today and I walk in, I don't have to explain to you what craft beer is. I just need to explain to you what Young Henry's is and why our beers will sell in your pub. Yep. Back then, if you owned a pub, I'm walking in and I'm I'm having to educate you potentially on what craft beer is, why it's a growing movement, why – considering craft beer might be good for your business yeah, and then do the sale on, hey, this, uh, this is our beer and, and this is our, our company. So it was a really interesting, different conversation. But it was and a good adventure. It was a great adventure. You know, we, we literally sometimes felt like we were, you know, carrying the flag. And it was an adventure, though. It's it was a, a creation of a movement or being part of a movement because there was a lot of others, a lot of others as well. Of you course. guys came in pretty early. Young Henry's is... So the people that were in the market around that time was... Little Creatures, Stone and Wood, Mountain Goat, Feral, Two Birds, and Four Pines. So they were sort of the, they were the companies. And Holgate, actually, was another one that sticks out. So they were sort of the the main craft sort of companies. All good brands, all good beers. But what was funny, that through Beer Club, we, in getting to know some of these brands and beers a bit more, we sort of realised that none of those brands spoke to us as people, and that was that's an interesting little thought. Where and I only realised it in hindsight, but in that, terms of a brand, what does the brand represent? Yeah, exactly. So that became a really important mindset for us. We're like, okay, well, we'll just make Young Henry's more like us. So it's black t-shirts. It's you know rock and roll. It's you know a brewery in Newtown. It's street art. It's open-minded. It's fun, you know. And 
just sort of trying to mould this, mould a company to sort of think and act in line with your own values was super fun. But also that's what created our, the distinct brand that Young Henry's became, you know? And it, it, wasn't, it wasn't overly thought out. We didn't have a marketing plan or anything for the first like four years. It was just, do, do we like this? Is it sort of in line with what we're trying to do? Yeah, cool. Let's fucking do it. Let's and it have also fun. You recruit people too into your of course. business. Absolutely. Like, like, like the, the, if they believe in it, then they'll actually resell it for you, resell that, those brand, that brand values. That's a pretty well, – I, I want to go to the break. I'm going to come back from the break. I, I want to talk about today's marketing. I mean, obviously today you've got all sorts of things like Instagram and Facebook, et cetera. I don't know if you use those things, but I want to talk about that. But I, I also want to talk about what, what do you see the future of all the craft beers because there are a lot of them and I wonder how they're all going to survive. Yeah. I mean, I, I, my gut feeling is if you're not already in, in in a substantial way like you guys are and – some of the other independents, um, then it's going to be very hard to break in. I want to talk about how you distribute um, outside of pubs, um, like at, at the liquor store, because, you know, like they're all owned by Coles and Woolworths, mm. and uh, that's a bit difficult um, unless you get to the independents. And um, I probably want to talk to you about what, you're, what you hold for your future. So what are you, you, know, what are you guys thinking about doing? Like where, where, where do you go from here? Do you list? Do you sell? Do you mm. go and put it up on the stock exchange and try and make a quit out of it? Do you move to, out to Byron Bay? or I mean, what are you going to do? Like... Uh, so we'll go to the break and we'll come straight back. Okay, I'm back from the break. I'm here with Oscar McMahon and he's one of the co-founders of Young Henry's. We just covered off um, how Oscar and his partners uh, sort of got involved in the business initially. And it's actually, to some extent, when you think about it, it may not have happened as well as it happened. I mean, because it was a, it wasn't someone sat down there one day and said, "Right, we're all on a mission here. We've got an investment banker here. We've got our lawyers and accountants. We're actually going to set up a beer company." It was more uh, something that came out of a, a beer appreciation club, where a couple of guys thought maybe we can do this and let's have a crack. And to be honest, with you, a lot of really good businesses actually start that way. And if you're out there listening. You know, be encouraged by this because, but you've got to go and do something about it. You've got to execute. You can't just keep thinking about it. You've got to execute. So we've got a business now called Young Henry's. It's, uh, let's go back, say, two or three years from now, say, seven, six, seven years old. It's been accepted. It's been sold in pubs. It's been sold to liquor stores. You've got a, a young brewer. I presume the brewer guy's still there, Rich. Is yeah, yeah, still with he's you? still okay. involved. So you've got your secret. You've got your secret brewing formula. Um do you brew it here in Australia? Yes, we do. Right. So how important is that for you as a statement? Oh, it's Young Henry's products are made in in New South Wales and in Victoria now. They are all made with Australian products by Australian people. We taste the start, middle and end of every single run. So every single product we make is signed off by um, at least one director of the business, head brewer, head of quality, and at least one other person from the brew team. So, bottles, where do bottles come from? Goulburn. Goulburn. So b- bottles are made here? Yep. Yeah, okay, because I remember it was always cheaper to get the bottles out of China, but you, you got your bottles here? Yep. Great. And uh, so that, that's simple. So you get stuff made here, you get stuff bottled here, it gets packed here, gets distributed how do you distribute? Yeah, we've got our own distribution team as well. So you got a, is it in a warehouse? Do you have warehouses? Yeah, we've got, we now, I mean, look, our site in Newtown, we've got a brewery, a distillery, a tasting bar and warehousing. Right. So we run our own local logistics out of our warehouse in Newtown. We also then have 3PL 
um, warehousing and distribution arrangements in all of the different states. Um, our logistics team work out of Newtown and are basically shipping beer into the different DCs, which supply to the majors, um, you know, into ALM warehousing. They're basically servicing a whole bunch of warehousing um, spots around the country. To some extent, you're running a logistics business as well. Absolutely. So you've got, a lo- you've got logistics experts, logistic team to yep. get your distribution done, to yep. execute on your distribution. Um, in terms of getting it on the, getting it on the, uh, like, let's say getting into. Uh... There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Um, any of the Woolworths or Coles own independent liquor stores, um, how's that work? I mean, to get there, I mean, to get in there, how, just explain to our audience how hard it is or what's the process of getting your stuff sold on or getting on shelf space in those organisations? Is that important to you? Getting shelf space anywhere is tough. Mm. You've got to do a lot of work on your product and your brand. You sort of need a level of respect, I think, to to actually get get anywhere because you need you need someone to see value in you and your products and your team. Sell it, of course. You know, you you have to be a value that will add value to their business. Otherwise, Mm. you know, there's only so so many shelves in a shop. You know. They'll bump you out for someone else. Well, how do you do that? Do you go and pitch? Do you go? I mean, fortunately, fortunate or unfortunate, which way you look at the a lot of the um, liquor stores are owned by a couple of the big organisations, even though they've got various names, Dan Murphy's and stuff. They're owned by Coles and Woolworths. Is that mm, correct? That's right. Yeah. So you got to do you, do you go and uh, pitch to them, or how, how do you do it? Look, funnily enough, in the early days, they came to us. Um, well, that's because you made a big enough noise. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and. At first we said no because we weren't actually at a, a stage where we thought we could um, actually look after customers that big. So we just kept pushing um, with the sort of independent bottle shops. Um, and then once it got to a point where we thought we were able to do it, I mean cash flow is one of the biggest um, concerns in the early days of dealing with any of the majors because their payment terms are very different in like 90 days or something exactly yeah. and then and also the the potential volume of orders can be huge i think uh, i think dan murphy's had ordered 14 times by the time they had paid their first invoice from us so you think about the cash flow drag of that you know you got to be can, can you just explain something for me oscar so like what people don't realize is that the moment you get out the booze out of bond yeah you you have to pay government taxes and That's all that right. sort of stuff so just take us quickly through that process. So you obviously got to pay to get a brood. 
I know what it's. Yeah. So we, we've got to pay. Your team. We've got to pay for our brew team, our quality team, our logistics team, our warehousing, all of our consumables, power. We've got to pay our rent. Yep. You know, try and pay ourselves something at the same time. We make a batch of beer, pay for all the raw materials. As soon as we ship that to, you know, a Dan Murphy's warehouse, for example, we had to pay excise on that. And it's 100% or something? Excise tax is, oh, I can't remember the exact percentage, but basically it's one, It's our largest cost. Yeah, yeah. You know? So times that by 14, by the time they've paid their first invoice for the first lot of beer dropped off. Yeah. That became a huge. So you got to fund the cash flow. Exactly. Yeah. But that's, I mean, that's that's wholesale though. Like if 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 a pub has a has a shitty summer due to bushfires, they're going to fall behind on their paying their invoices because their cash flow is bad. So, in a, in a way, if you're getting into the wholesale industry, which you know we are, our tasting bar is not even a percent of our revenue. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So your your so your revenue comes out of third parties, which is pubs. And liquor stores. Yeah, exactly. Every time you want to grow, you've got to invest in capital to basically build your uh, capacity out. And then you've got to be ready for every time you add on more customers, you actually add on more cash flow exposure. Yeah, so, so every time you do a great marketing campaign, which is super successful, you're all of a sudden going to get confronted with things, shit, if this is unbelievably successful, we're going to have a big cash flow strain because it could it could stretch out 90 days, three, four months yep. before we get paid. Yep. Well, we got to invest now. So, so you're constantly tipping more money in. How do you do that to to extend your potential financial risk? So, how do you do that? Like, how, how did you deal with that? Like, I mean, is it, do all you guys got like deep pockets, or do you get no? We had, bank funding, or what did you do? We have in around year three, we needed to scale up. Everything was just we were flying. You know, obviously coming off a pretty low base. We'd gotten to a really good volume in the first year, then we doubled it the next year, and then it was just, it was going really well. So we needed to um, upgrade our brewery. We wanted to put in a distillery. We wanted to increase our capacity. Um, so we, we took on some private equity, um, took, took on some funding from a family office. And yeah, like, so could you, could you explain to our listeners how you find such a funder, or did the funder come to you? Um, no, one of. Um, one of uh, the founders was sort of out in the market looking for people who were interested in, I guess it was, we were a bit over a two-year-old company. So it wasn't a, you know, wasn't seed funding. It was, it was a known entity. We had a track record. We had customers. We had a product. We had a brand. We had ethos. We had cash flow. And we sort of could prove that this is heading in a pretty good direction. So that you would normally get referred to like an A round. Yeah, that sounds about right. right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And look, we just we got really lucky in the way that the family office that decided to invest in us. You know, these are people that I catch up for coffee and lunch with once a week. I go to the gym with one of the guys once a week. They have become not just a support structure to the business, but for Dan and I as sort of young directors of a business, they've really helped us sort of personally learn and in 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 any business that is a startup, you've got to understand that the other thing that you're scaling up is yourself. Mm. You know, it's one thing to be investing in more tanks and hiring more staff, but if you're not scaling up your own brain and becoming a better leader, becoming more organised, 
being able to grow your own head to think about, okay, we're a Newtown company. How do we talk nationally now? How do we go from having 10 staff to having 60 staff? You know, how do we deal with ups? How do we deal with a big fuck up? You know, mm. which happened more often than not. Absolutely. You know, you, just because we don't market our fuck ups doesn't mean yeah. that they're not happening. There's more of them usually. Than, <laughs> That's exactly right. There's more right. bushfires to put out than there is, um, you know, a, a, a celebrity times. So that was one of the, that's one of the things where, which, um, I think we learned is that if you've got a good idea, I reckon you can find money anywhere. But if you find money, which is also comes with either business now or some other support, you know, someone with a certain, like, you know, if you've got a lawyer that wants to chuck in some cash, hey, you know what? That's probably going to be pretty handy <laughs> at some stage in the future yeah, or, yeah. you know. And we, we just got really lucky in that. And So you got a family office. They, is that family office sort of just kept backing up? Like they, they come in one investment, do they back up in the next round? They have helped us out, I think, two or three times. Right. Which has it's still there? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Still there. Still um, in and around the business um, on a weekly, fortnightly basis. So you got you and your original partners, you got this family office. Do you have other investors outside of that? No, we don't. And a couple of the original partners actually have sort of sold sold shares. Table, yeah. yeah. Which happens, you know, nine years is a long time to mm. have to have everything that you had in a business, you know? That's... I might just say something here because to our audience because a lot of the times when you kick these businesses off, um, generally speaking, some early investors, they want to have what they call a liquidity event, liquidity event which basically means, um, look, I'll invest the money for five years but or four years, whatever it is, but I want a liquidity event at the end of four or five years. In other words, either I get bought out or we all sell together or we list it on the stock exchange, or we all at least sit down and consider that position so we can all work out how we get, how we get out of this. Five years is pretty long-term, so you're talking nine years. Uh, nine years is a long time yeah. to be sitting in a business without cashing some of your chips in. Um, you're young, so it's probably okay for you, but generally speaking for family offices and, and um, more, let's say, um, more mature investors, they generally speaking, looking at four to five years before that at some stage after four or five years, they want to know, how am I going to get out of this? Because all investors go into these things, the first question I always ask is, okay, what's my exit? Like, I don't want to be sitting in this for 30 years because I'll be dead, mm. um, you know, so I can't wait that long. So, um, you know, like, so generally speaking, as a, as a, in the audience, if you're looking for investors, investors are generally looking for the exit date or the, the, what they call the liquidity event, and it's usually between three to five years. Very rare does go beyond five. Mm. You're lucky. So, you know, you guys, you've got some people and they've been there for nine years. Yeah. That's a big deal. It is. It's yeah. a big deal. It's also, it's also a big deal when you think about it that there are people who have had their money in the business for nine years whilst also having to top up along the way. And, yeah, totally. You know, people having their original equity whittled down by other people being able to... They're dilute in, when other people come in. You know, so... you and, and that's called patient capital. So, you know, like, you, I mean, there is a term out there in the investment banking world called patient capital, and patient capital is really important. That's just capital that's prepared to be patient, is prepared to wait for something. Who knows what it is? No promises made, but something will happen one day. I, I, can I just talk to you, Oscar, about... Uh, your marketing of your business. I mean, originally there was no Facebook and Instagram, so I guess it's word of mouth, making sure you, you go to fairs or events or conventions or conferences, getting people into Newtown where you brew, like tapping your mates on the shoulder, blah, blah, blah. But more recently, you know, what do you guys do in terms of social? So pushing it. Like, and I know, and I know that you, 
you do support bands. I see yeah. Foo Fighters in here. Yeah, yeah. So they are coming out in November, I think. I think they are. This year. So need to bring him out, yeah. So quick, quick drop back to the past. Yep. So in the early days, like I said, we were trying to work out what was, trying to create a company that was in line with our our sort of personality. And, and you guys like music and, yeah. and, and events, music events. Exactly. And, and you know, and talking about craft beer and going out to these different, you know, events. And we decided to make a collaboration beer with a band. So we'd make a beer. The band would actually work with us on the recipe and the concept. And then we'd actually throw a party where the band would play and we'd release the beer and that would, you know. At the concert? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That That's was cool. That's this, and we did it. It was really cool. It was really fun. And Would the band be standing drinking it or? Yeah, absolutely. So they're drinking it on stage. All you know. So that was just this real, hey, we should do that. That's going to be fun. That became sort of our our mo. Yeah, as you, you go know? to. Yeah, like if you if you're in an industry where half of your growth is going to come from people just finding out about your industry. Don't just be making beers because then only people who are interested and know about beers are going to know about you. Mm. We started realizing, hang on, if we make beers with people from other industries, all of a sudden their fans start picking up on what Young Henry's is and what craft beer. We did a beer with UMI in the early days and guaranteed back then not all UMI fans were craft beer drinkers. That, you know, all of a sudden our Instagram and Facebook nearly doubled overnight with UMI fans who, who are these Young Henry's people. So we started, we wanted to see craft beer in anywhere where there was something cultural going on, you know, bands, art shows, TEDx, you know, we got, we got tinnies of beer into the opera house for the first time possibly ever, you know, and our mindset was, well, surely someone who is forward thinking enough to buy a ticket to a band or um, to go to TEDx to see a talk or to go to an art show opening, surely that's the sort of mindset that would actually be open to better beer or, you know, independent. Trying something new. Trying something new, right? That discovery mindset. So we That's clever because that's what they're there for in the first place. They're trying to, they're trying to discover something. Of course. Let's look at this, this new art, art exhibition or whatever it might be. So we started making beers like to celebrate FBI Radio's birthday or, like I said, you or my. We did a beer with Kylie Kwong in the early days, the um, amazing yep. chef. Really that's fun, cool. really fun shit. But- that brought a whole lot of people sort of, it brought interest. That sort of set the tone for us working with a lot of musicians. So we now do tour support. We put on gigs and we partner with a lot of live music venues. We still try to work with as many art exhibitions and galleries. We've just partnered with the ACMI in Melbourne, which has just reopened, which is the... Um, Moving Image mm-hmm. um, Museum. We've worked with, you know, Carriage Works. Um, we did TEDx for, I think, four years in a row. Obviously, COVID came and dusted a couple of things and we're sort of in a bit of a rebuild. Back but, up. But we still find that partnerships and collaboration has been such an important part of Young Henry's that finding marketing partnerships in different realms than just beer has been really helpful of driving trial, getting people across to our brand. But also if you can create advocates 
in another organization, especially an organization that might have more social followers or a bigger database than you. And a different database you. Exactly. Surely that is... Well, um, that's, what, that's what influence influencer marketing is all about, but you're, exactly. talking about, you're talking about advocates without calling them influencers. I mean, I, but I want to know about the Foo Fighters. <laughs> tell me, tell me, tell me. Look, you know what? We, we honestly thought it was a prank call. Oh, they called you? Yeah. Would Sony call you or did they call you? No, it was someone from their touring team. Someone from their touring team. So I think it was someone from Live Nation that was bringing them out and they just said, look, we're looking to to create a Foo Fighters beer around the tour. Um, That's bad. And you're like, oh, yeah, go on. Like, no, 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 honestly, this is this really is who, who we're saying it is and they've asked around and everyone has said, if you're going to do something with a band, it has to be Young Henry's. Um, so I think we, that was a pretty amazing... That was a pretty amazing opportunity. We had a very short turnaround to do that. So, so did you cl- actually collaborate with them? Yeah, we actually were sending designs to and fro between their their manager in America, um, beer concepts, like c- literally costing documents, little tasting things. That you- no, we we managed to we sent beer backstage, but it was more yeah, it was more description and how we're going to do it. Look, that was a that was a really amazing project, and then we ended up renting a bus and took our whole um, company to to the gig in a private box, which was awesome being able to drink because um, they actually um, let us take all our own booze to the box. So being able to drink the Young Henry's Foo Fighters beer in a box, watching the Foo Fighters with, you know, all of our crew. all Like everyone in our crew are either music lovers, musicians, ex-musicians, you know, um, Artists, we've got a. Everyone's sort of got a side hustle in Young Henry's, so something like that is where a lot. You know, everyone really has a good time. Yeah, it'd be fucking awesome. So, but in terms of um, Instagram, is it is because I know that um, like for example, I know the Balter guys, so I know Mick Fanning and those guys, and you know, and where they really leveraged um, influencers is that they, you know, someone like Mick Fanning's got a million and a half, two million people following, and uh, so. You know, they're up at um, Corumban or something like that. They're up at Corumban with um, where they brew. They've got a bar. They're like the yeah. same sort of deal you got. But he's talking a million odd people mm. and, and so is Joel and, and the other partners. They're all just got a massive audience, you know what I mean? Because you know, they're surfing legends. And uh, like you, they have that surfing culture going. You've got the musical culture. They've got the surfing culture going there. Um, they killed it on Instagram. Like you know, they'd be he, Fanning be sitting there drinking a beer, you know, yeah. it's, it's awesome. So, and everyone go, fuck, I want to have something, I should, should try it, you know what I mean? We were doing pretty well for followers um, on Instagram and I think Bolter on the, like, the second week of them having an Instagram account, they hadn't even released a beer yet and Mick Fanning posted, this is my beer and they, like, the, the next day their Instagram account was, like, double ours. Yeah, just like, gone just off. Like, you know, which is which is great. Like, Can I just, in terms of your beer, I have tried your beer. Do you have like five different types of beers? Yeah, I think we've got we've got five beers in our sort of core range. Plus, we've got a cider and a gin, and we do limited release. But our our Australian Pale Ale Newtowner, that's you know sixty five seventy percent of our business. Right, that's our sort of flagship product. That that's the one that just goes for days. And how know? important is it for you as a as an organisation to be coming up with um new new styles of beer like 
innovations. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. new products. I mean, you've got your basic stuff in Newtowner, but like that's 70%. But how important is it for you to take a risk? Something might just only add another 5% to revenues. It might cost you 10% to build. It's almost like it's almost like you need to have your flagship because that is what your financial health is based upon, you know? Pays the bills. Exactly. And for all of the marketing activations and for all of your social media followers and for everything that you do in the marketplace, a publican's like, yeah, all of that is great because that will infer how a person feels when they walk into my pub and sees Newtowner because they don't want to have, you know, a publican doesn't want to have, you know, 7% IPA on tap because, A, only, you know, half the percent of the population is going to order it in the first place and, B, you can only sell them two before you have to kick them out because they're too pissed. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, Newtowner is a jug beer. It's a pint beer. It's a, you know, it's an everyday sort of beer. But all of those other, like, those limited release products and those fun projects, they're reasons to talk to the marketplace. They're reasons for our brewers to actually have fun and do something cool. They're reasons for us to work with uh, a different organization or some different people. And it's a reason to talk to your consumers again. It's not just saying, hey, it's Young Henry's again. We're here to talk about Newtowner again. Yeah, yeah. It's like, hey, we've just done this. And if you like that, that's cool. It's only going to be here for a little while. It's almost like changing the conversation. And someone who drinks craft beer, they probably do have one or two, which are their like their staples, right? But they probably do, you know, jump around trying other little bits and pieces from different people. So you got to sort of be in that game just to bring because that brings it back to to you. It either brings your existing drinkers back to your to your like your core range. Yeah. Or it potentially brings other people who are a bit promiscuous. Who don't want Newtowner. Yeah. Because they might say Newtowner's uh, not... Uh, it's not hoppy not, enough. Not, it's not, cra- well, not, it's not craft crafty anymore. Because it's been around for a long time. Totally, right. And you got, you, you're a, got a big brand. We're looking for something a bit more independent. So you've got to keep playing that independent game. Exactly. So, And if it doesn't work, what do you do? You cut it? Yeah, look, I mean... Or you just shelve it and just say, we're going to run it, a sh- we're just going to give this a crack. With all, all of those things are yeah. limited release. So limited release, yeah. we, we actually do a set amount of cases and kegs so that when it's gone, it's gone. It's very rare that we'll ever repeat them. So just, hey, so it's a bit like, this is a bit like your beer club, your, uh, your, yeah. your craft beer club. It's like, hey, taste this. You know, we, we've got Newtown, but we just we just did this. It's called Blah. Um, and uh, once you taste it, it's limited research. We've only got like so many kegs or whatever it is. And uh, once it's done, it's done. It's done. Yeah. And you, well, you, you go, it gives you, you're right, it gives you an opportunity to talk to your audience and a new audience hmm. who might be interested in trying something new as opposed to trying all the same things that they always try. Exactly. So well, it- when do you become non-craft? When do you become mainstream? Like, I mean, like Cooper's, I'd say, you know, like it was craft, but I'd say it's mainstream today, you know? Like, totally. Uh, I mean, uh, and it's an interesting thing that different people have got different answers to that. So there's three different words, mainstream, craft, and independent, and quite often they become people link link those words together, right? I would say that Cooper's is a mainstream product because it is widely distributed. You can get it in pretty much every town in the country. Yep. So it is a it's a staple around the country. Is it a craft product? Yes, it is because craft is how it is made. Are they still independent? Yeah, they still are. 
So what's important is is independent. Does it go before craft? I mean, what, what, what's the audience? Craft, really? craft is a process. So um, James Squire, for example, that's a craft product yeah. that has been created by you know Lion, um, but it is using natural ingredients, the natural process, good brewers making good beer. Um, so I think craft is actually the process. Craft is actually the style of um, production and how you treat treat the the beer. Yep. Mainstream is how much you can get it. Just accessibility. Accessibility. And then you've got independent, whether you're owned by a multinational or not. So how important is independent then? Because for me, I think independent's important. Okay, I mean, I don't know why. I I can't tell you, maybe because I'm an anti-authority. So I generally would rather have independent than, than, um, um, you know, big box or international. Yeah. I'd rather rather have that. Craft, I quite like the idea. I like the way you described it. It's, um, It's the process. It's done by old school craftsmen, so to speak. I, exactly. I, can, I have imagination of someone sitting there with a leather apron on, <laughs> and uh, you know, like it's it's quite quite. Uh, um, you can build a good narrative around it, so uh, I quite like that idea too. Um, so, but and I don't care whether it's successful anywhere, everywhere. That is or isn't doesn't matter to me one way or the other. So, but do you push those those two things, craft and independent? Look, we, as, as messages, we we do. We're we're really proud of the fact that. Newtowner is actually now available in every Dan Murphy's around the country. So if that's mainstream, yeah, yeah, then Newtowner has just become mainstream and I'm really proud of that. We are absolutely a craft company because we don't take any shortcuts with our beer and that's why people love it and that's why we actually sell a lot of volume. It's like Stone and Wood, they're double our size and they're still craft because they still care about how the beer is made and when someone drinks it, you can tell. Um, and independent. Does it get pissed or? <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I'm yeah, it works. <laughs> um, and independent. Look, Young Henry's is a product of independence. We have created and defined our brand through a whole bunch of activities that you can only really get away with as an independent, you know, yeah, owner operator company. You no. couldn't, you couldn't get a marketing team to yeah. create Young Henry's. Yeah, you yeah. know. Um, so I'm, I'm really proud of that. So well, I give everybody an opportunity to ask me a question in these um, podcasts. I mean, you guys are mature, you know, well-known business, fairly long in the tooth in terms of business, in a business sense. T- certainly from a startup point of view, you're not down that territory. You got a question for me? Yeah. In a marketplace that has been growing, as in just talk about people entering the marketplace, as as vendors, yeah. Yep. So so you know, 150 brewers when we started. Now, yeah, 650, whatever the number is. So, in a marketplace that keeps basically fracturing, is that going to create segmenting, localization? Are people still going to be able to get cut through mm. as national brands? My experience is only financial services in that regard. So um, so I was in a business in the wizard days where there was maybe a hundred independent, what they call non-banks, people like wizard, was me, Oz, Aussie Rams, the three originals um, with the three largest by far relative to the other couple of hundred that are out there at the time. Um, what we found, what I, my experience is that um, uh, they, the three of us sort of drowned everybody else out in terms of marketing. A, we had uh, more di- better distribution. We had um, more money to spend in terms of marketing because we had bigger volumes so we could spend more money. 
But also um, over time we found there was just a consolidation because in the end most of them couldn't get any traction. They can't survive. And uh, all you need is an event or two, um, like GFC, et cetera, those sorts of events, and they, they disappear pretty quickly. So all you need is a, is a recession, although in your case recessions probably actually help beer because people buy more alcohol during a recession, chocolate and alcohol. But whatever the event is that can cause problems for businesses like yours, generally speaking, consolidate. So consolidate your environments. Or someone comes, comes and buys them up, like the Lion Nathans and mm. the, you know, the Sahis, they just come and just buy everything. Because those big brands, those international brands, can't grow market share. Every extra dollar they spend on advertising their business to grow market share against all the people like you who are taking market share, it's better to come and buy you or go and buy Bolter than it is to spend money trying to take market share away from Bolter. And generally speaking, they can't take market share away from Bolter because Bolter's got Mick Fanning and then he's got a different market. Mm. You can't buy that. As you said earlier, you're not going to get those marketing campaigns out of Asahi. So my experience in this regard in financial services when when I had the wizard business is that um, over time they all just drop off and, you know, five or six survive. And And the reason why five or six survive is because they've got the foothold Everybody knows them. You do become a staple, but you, if you're independent, you're independent of the big guys. So I was in, independent of Westpac. I was independent of you know CBA and all those organisations. Um, and so was Aussie and so was Rams. I, I do say, I will say that ultimately we became acquired too. Ultimately we all got acquired. The whole three of us got acquired. Um, and only because it got to a point where we all just got worn out. Mm. We ran out of, even Kerry Packer, who was my partner, he ran out of steam, you know, like he didn't want to do it anymore because it just got to a point where it was, we got too big. Yeah. And it was a big a big business's game. You know, like we just, it just got scary in terms of what we were confronted with every day, like cash flow, like you were talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, the bigger you get, the bigger your cash flow in and out, you know, you make more value, but um, it just, it's brain damage stuff, you know, and, yeah. uh, you know, you keep you awake at night and you think, what the fuck am I doing this for? Yeah. I'm no longer an independent. I'm no longer having the fun I used to have because it just got too big. And you either get like that and you get acquired or you're smaller and you can never compete with me in, in the wizard days and you're going to you'll drop off because it'll get to a point where your market share won't grow anymore. You're just making a wage and you, you're the owner thinking, well, what's the point? So that, that sort of thing can happen too. So my gut feeling is I don't know what's going to happen in the beer industry, but if you've got 600 competitors now, that sounds like way too many. Mm. And it sounds like there's probably 500 or 550 of them aren't making really any money. And the, and it, as you said earlier, it gets hard to get the space, the distribution space. You, they're not going to compete on price. They, they, these guys can't make – they're not making enough beer to be able to get the um, economies of scale to make it the right price, mm. to be able to compete with VB or whatever. So, you know, because, you know, you, you, and you, therefore you know as well as anybody, you're not going to get – um, if I've got a new brand mm. and uh, it's $45 a, a case, yet they can come and buy a, a case of whatever, Carlton, Carlton Brew or whatever it is, for 36 bucks. beer drinkers aren't going to get paid me the extra dough. Yeah. The general, generally. Mm. And if they're independent people, like people who want to try new stuff, they'll buy yours. Yeah, and it's only, yeah, and you're only talking about a pretty small percentage it's of people. Small, correct. So so my gut feeling is they'll either drop off or they'll be acquired. Mm. Because there's only there's only room for not many brands. Yeah, it's a good same point. In the, same in the financial services. There's only room for so many people to think about so many names. If there's 600, it's a bit like going to a restaurant with a menu that's 10, 20 pages. I'd rather go to a restaurant with half a page. Yeah. 
or just a set menu. Or, or, or chef, come and tell me what I should be eating. Yeah, that's the best. <laughs> just say, mate, tonight we've got blah, 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 blah. Which one do you want? Uh, I reckon you should have this, you know. And I th- I reckon you're going to be okay. Um, And I think, I actually think you're in better shape now after nine years and getting through all the mistakes you made and knowing all the traps and the ups and downs with 600 people competing against you than you were when you first kicked it off and there's 150 people, but it was but it wasn't, wasn't a fully accepted environment, craft beer, independent beer, and um, and the big guys were probably trying to crush you, weren't listening to you, and you didn't know what you're doing. Now you're in much better shape. You've got through all that shit, and all you've got to contend with is another 550 people who probably don't really know what they're doing properly. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I think also some of the best things we've done has always come from a place of not actually thinking about what other people are doing. Don't worry about that. Yeah. 100%. You start thinking about the the opposition, you're in trouble. Yeah, that's a good point. Let them think about you. <laughs> you're a great brand. You've done a brilliant job. Thanks, Thanks so much. Appreciate it. <laughs>